all. Welcome back to Voices of the Body, the podcast. My name is Love Ashley Elaine. And once again, I am here to be your guide as we journey through our first book club. Yes, we are on part four, agreement three of Yoga in the Dark Night of the Soul. Listen, as I'm going back through this book to just dig a little deeper and pull out all the gems that I want to share with you all, I'm learning that much more, right? I'm able to see things a lot clearer. It's amazing. This episode, we are talking about how to release those false perceptions. Yes, those false perceptions that hold us bound to our story, to our mind, to whatever has told us that things are supposed to be a certain way and really trusting our discernment. So you know the vibes, get your mind, body and soul together as we prepare for this episode. And we are back. So find a comfortable seated position, one that requires your body to really just focus on your breath and to focus on your core, where your discernment lives, where your wisdom lives, where your inner guide, that inner drive lives within you, right? That that whatever you consider the middle of your body, your solar plexus, your fire, And take a nice big inhale and exhale. One more nice big inhale and exhale. And on this last round, I invite you as you take a nice big inhale, really filling up the belly, bringing the breath all the way up and through the chest, bring the breath all the way up to the top of the throat. And as you exhale, I invite you to bring your gaze down your nose or gently close your eyes if you haven't already.
ensuring that our shoulders are squared, right? We are keeping the heart space nice and open, keeping the front body nice and open to really invite awareness of our inner guide. And just in this moment, allow your breath to move through its natural pattern, through its natural rhythm. If you feel it starting starting to quicken, come back to those nice, gentle inhales and exhales. And allow every exhale to bring ease into your body, to bring release of tension into your body. And I want you to take a minute here and think about or bring into your space, right? A moment where you trusted your inner guide and whatever manifested was in alignment with what you felt, what you trusted. What did you feel in your body? What was that conversation with your inner guide like? And did you allow yourself a moment of stillness to really confirm or deny if, if what your inner guide was telling you was true? What did that feel like? When our inner guide speaks to us, it's not to scare us, it's not to harm us, it's to prepare us, right, for what is next, for what is true, for what is in alignment for us. I always say our inner guide is uh, God's spirit within us, connecting us to his divine power, his divinity, his truth, his alignment for what is set out for us. And take a nice big inhale. And exhale. One more nice big inhale, filling up that belly. Right, really filling up and nurturing the space where your soul resides. Allow that breath to come all the way through the chest to the top of the throat. And as you exhale, gently releasing the breath, allowing the body to come back into its natural space. Last round, nice big inhale, filling up the belly allowing the breath to move up through the stomach, through the chest, through the heart space, up to the top of the throat. And gently exhale. And when the body is ready, you can move around, wiggling toes and fingers, blinking eyes open, 
do some journaling, right? If you feel led to journal your responses of what may have came up for you or even journal um, to some of the questions that I proposed, right? Give yourself some space to do that and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Voices of the Body. So let's get right into it. I hope y'all are really enjoying this. This has been fun for me because I love reading books. I also um, really, really, really enjoy like sharing the knowledge that I read from these books. Um, and I think this is like a really dope way to do it because I never heard of anybody doing a book club on a podcast. So here we are. Um, so where we left off, right, we were really diving into suffrage and what that looks like, how we can release that. Now, if you kind of take that concept that we talked about last week with suffrage, right, and like releasing the narratives that we hold on to, right? Even even to go as deep as the titles that we hold on to, right? Those victim mentalities, those things that keep us bound and in bondage, right? When we release those, we're now leasing, releasing perception, right? So as I said, this episode, we're talking about releasing false perceptions and trusting our inner guide because agreement three of um the the of, of all of the things that arjana is now learning from krishna is all about um your discernment right and that being your weapon right of course there's like scripture that comes to mind for that right put on the full armor of god so that you may be protected so that you may have wisdom all of those things so if we start on page 211 right um arjana so like arjana we too are surrounded by deadly foes these deadly foes are fear self-doubt denial hypocrisy dishonesty resentment anger contentment arrogance mm, disrespect frustration cruelty self selfishness greed envy hate narcissism and perpetual dissatisfaction pause Perpetual dissatisfaction, right? I always think about like those people who are just never satisfied, right? Like contentment is even off the table, right? Like what, what is it that is making them so dissatisfied? What are they clinging to that is making them 
not even find an ounce of happiness or even be in a be in a place where joy resides within them, right? So we'll keep going. It says servants of the illusionary ego, these ungodly qualities of the lower potential potential are arrayed against us in the heart. They emerge from the darkness and confusion of false perception with the singular aim of preventing us from realizing our full potential, our kingdom by birthright. Y'all hear me say it all the time, right? Your purpose is your birthright. Rest is your birthright. Living a full and joyful life is your birthright, right? Like there are things that are given to us the day we are born, but there's also ungodly things that are given to us the day we are born, right? Our journey is finding those things, right? Coming back home to ourselves. What does that look like? I share my story all the time on just being able to release those traumas, release those bondages within my mind, within my heart, within my spirit, right? That allow me to come back to the divine version of me, right? So we're looking at now Arjana is standing on a chariot given to him and by the god of fire which cannot be destroyed right your chariot cannot be destroyed our body is our chariot right but sometimes we allow our senses right our five senses that we have which is our touch um oh my gosh touch sound like hearing seeing Y'all know the five senses for some reason they're escaping me, but I have them also, right? Those five senses come in and they steer us on the wrong direction, right? Which is imperative, which is why it is imperative for us to really tap into our sixth sense. It is that intuition, it is that soul that speaks to you and, and tells you, no, don't go out tonight right? Something like when people keep saying something keeps telling me to do X, Y, and Z, or something keeps telling me not to do X, Y, and Z, or welcome to the church world. I feel it in my spirit, right? To do this, this, and this, or I feel it to tell you X, Y, and Z, right? There's a, I call it the divine prompting, right? There's something intuitively nudging at you and telling you you need to do this. You don't need to do that. You need to do this that way. What if you just wait? What if you just keep going, right? Tell this person that. Tell this person that. You're going for this, but this is something else is going to shift, right? So when we are able to not only rely on our five senses, right? Because if you, so in, when we think about our energy centers, our chakra work, right? You have uh, uh your third eye which is which is your pituitary gland that sits right at the front of your brain but in between both of your brows not your eyes but your brows where your eyebrows are there's there is a visionary space in that space right that is also another another sense that is outside of the five senses right so when we say that you create things twice you're creating something in your in your in that gland in that space right your brain is thinking it up and then it's coming into a visionary space within your mind somewhere in there you're embodying that right if you go back to season 1 i did an episode on embodying to manifest right 
you have to embody what it is that you're sensing and then you get that divine prompting if it's something that you're supposed to move on or not move on right everything will be in total complete alignment so we can't rely on just the two eyes that we see at the two eyes that we see will also prompt us into that sixth sense of what we're supposed to do what we're supposed to um uh, move on all of those things right um so as i was like going back through this on page 12 right it talks about um how on the chariot Arjana had a flag that had Hunaman on there, which is a fierce monkey god with loud shouts that caused the heart of the enemy to tremble. Listen, y'all know I'm all about anything that's going to make the enemy tremble. Yes, I'm thinking about some songs right now, right? Because we don't want the enemy to prevail, whatever the enemy is, right? Fear can be the enemy, right arjana's own perception of of life can be the enemy right because now he's in the middle of his dark night of the soul um so at the page of 212 it talks about how this monkey god represents dedication and devotion and devoted service which invari invariably led to victory of the higher potential over the lower then it asks a question what flag are we flying on the field of life mm. are you flying the flag of lower potential right like are you staying in this mindset of oh i'm never going to get out of where i am i'm poor i'm broke right i'm a victim i'm this i'm that right or are you going excuse me going to do the work to release those those flags right and now flat fly the flag that allows you to move into your higher potential right your higher potential regardless of what you see in front of you right what you speak life and death is in the tongue so what you speak you manifest right so when we talk about uh shifting mindsets it all starts with metacognition right i teach um when i do social emotional work with kids or just anybody i work with honestly i had to do it with myself first right a lot of metacognition work metacognition is replacing a thought with a thought so when that thought and but being aware of your thoughts right you have to be aware of your thoughts first before you can even shift anything so when that thought of i'm never going to make it out of here comes up right whatever here is you have to quickly say to yourself, no, I'm right here where I need to be for a season and I will be able to prosper. I will be able to move forward. I will be able to keep pushing forward. Right. You like you like you. So going back to what I said earlier, you create the world in your mind first and then it manifests. It's the same with our words, because the minute you speak something, you're creating a vision for it. Now there's entrapment of the mind because this is the only vision that you have. This is the only vision that you see of what you're going to be able to accomplish, right? If you keep saying, I'm going to fail this test, you're going to fail the test because that's now the energy that you've put out there. That's now the embodiment of what you've put out there. Your words are powerful. Your thoughts are powerful right i struggled with my thoughts for a very long time especially moving around this space of like like saying yes to myself right 
when you say yes to yourself, it comes with a lot of no's of, of everything else. So it's a constant battle of trying to release what I once knew to be life and moving into what I want my life to look like, right? So the battle was constantly now picking those seeds that didn't feed me well, right? Picking those seeds from the people that may, that may have planted seeds in my, in my thought pattern as I was a child and telling me, no, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what your life is supposed to be like. This is what kind of mother you're supposed to be right? This is where you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to have. And it's like, but I don't want to do any of those things. I want to do what feels aligned for me, right? So you have to be very conscious of what flag you're flying, right? Is it dedication and devotion to service or is it victim mentality, right? Then Arjana goes on to um, talk about what kind of training have you received? What kind of what have you what have you allowed yourself to invest in that is going to make you better? What have you allowed yourself to invest in that is going to make you better? At this rate, you can't even say that. Oh, I don't have enough money to do it because I can I can pull up Instagram now and find you at least five to 10 people that are offering a very small um, free mini course that is free. A, a mini course that is free. Uh, I said it is free, right? It's all like, you have to be in a space of curiosity to say, okay, I'm gonna take this free mini course because I'm not sure what it is that I wanna do. I'm not sure what I want my life to look like, but I know I don't want it to look like this anymore. So this course is free. I'm not wasting any money. I'm not wasting any time. I'm going to try it and see what, what awakens, right? What I think about it and what it teaches me. YouTube, right? Although there's a lot of filtering, like you, this is where that discernment kick in comes in, right? There's a lot of filtering you'll have to do through YouTube, but, but if you, it's all about intention. I always say do nothing without intention, right? It's all about intention. What are you looking for on YouTube, right? Because there's like, if you're looking for a sermon or looking for something positive to speak to you, there's gonna be levels of that, right? So be mindful of what that looks like also. Everything on YouTube is free until it's not, right? So what are you what what are you willing to invest in to be able to make yourself grow, allow yourself to grow? And then he asked another question, what is our predicament when are when faced with life's challenges? How do you show up when you're challenged with life? Cuz life is going going to do what it's supposed to do. Life life lifes, right? Life lifes. What do you do when it lifes? Right? What do you do when it when it lifes? Do we, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. Why me? Blah, 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 blah. Or do we like flow through it, right? The other day I had to, like we, we haven't had Wi-Fi for a while and I miss my son. Like I miss talking to him and there's like some other things that I need to work on. But I woke up one morning and was just like, all right, Ash, like what can, what's in your control? What can you control? I can't control the Wi-Fi. I can't control anything outside of how I decide to show up, my attitude, 
what I can work on, which I got a lot done, right? And that could have been things that I was avoiding working on because they scared me. There were things that like, I know I'm not good at that I know I need to do so that I can become good at them. And that was the opportune time for me to be able to do it, right? So how do you, how do you show up when life is life in? Like when things are out of your control and that's now a daily habit for me, right? When I journal, it's okay, what's in my, what's in my control today? The only things that I have control over is how I choose to show up, right? How I choose to allow my attitude to show up, right? How I speak to myself, how I see the situation, right? Then it, then it becomes a perspective shift, right? So, um, yeah, he says something powerful here where he says discernment severs our connection to suffering and cuts through out through our false perceptions. <sighs> when he yeah, that was yeah, that was powerful. So to help his friend Arjuna, Krishna gives him indestructible weapon, the flaming sword of knowledge, knowledge, wisdom, and discernment are very powerful tools. I don't care what you have on this earth. I don't care how fruitful your life is. If you do not have wisdom, if you do not have knowledge and not just book smarts, but able to have knowledge that like, like actually allow yourself to be curious about learning about the world around you, right? Um, and discernment, the ability to know when to, to, to pour in and to pull back right? To speak and to not, to do and to not, right? To act and to not. When you have those three things, you like, everything else is overflow. Everything else is, is added unto you, right? Those things will be added unto you. Like everything else is just, you are just one of many beneficiaries to the things of the kingdom, right? Um, he says, not just any knowledge, but a razor, razor sharp discernment. This sword, when wielded by a skilled yoga warrior, serves our connection to suffering. It cuts through our false perceptions. It give, in gifting this divine yogic weapon to our jhana, Krishna is um, simultaneously bequithering it to each of us. So God gives us the spirit of discernment. All of us have the spirit of discernment. Is it activated is the question. Do you utilize it is the question. Is it tainted is the question. Do you use it is the question, right? There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about if you want wisdom, you ask for it. Wisdom is a gift. It's one of those many gifts of the spirit, just like speaking in tongues and um, vision and uh, all of those things, right? God gives all of us discernment. Some of us just either don't know how to trust it or use it, or well, no, there's there's many levels. It's been abused, right? Because then <laughs> who remembers like waking up in the middle of the night as a kid and like seeing the guy on TV like selling holy water? My pastor talked about that. That was so hilarious. Or like just those late night like gospel people on the TV that's like selling you stuff that makes no sense. Like I believe in in prayer oil, 
is this water really though going to change my life and make me rich in 24 hours if I drink it? Probably not, right? Um, Krishna devotes a full third of the Bhagavad Gita to wisdom and his main teachings can broadly be summarized as follows. So we're going to move through these three main teachings, right? The first one is remember who you are. The second one is understand the terrain. And the third one is distinguish between the divine and the godly. Oh, I can't wait to get to that one, right? So when we look at um, page 213, he says you don't know. He says to our, um, Krishna tells Arjuna when he is like, Arjuna at this point is like very confused. He doesn't know what to do. He even looks lost. He looks confused, right? He's between two great armies and he doesn't know what to do. And then Krishna says to him, you don't know what to do because you don't know who you are. You don't know what to do because you don't know who you are. You don't know what to do because you don't know who you are. That is a powerful statement, right? Sometimes, and it's not like those small decision-making spaces, right? It It's literally like your day-to-day, your overall, that bigger picture, the, the lost and confusion of like this bigger picture of life. Like the field in the Bhagavad Gita represents life, the field of life. The chariot represents the body. Krishna represents God. God is with Arjuna to help him figure him out, who he is, right? So when he says you don't know what to do because you don't know who you are, it goes on and says, Krishna's very first wisdom teaching to Arjuna is to remember who he is. Remember, Arjuna, he was this this very sexy warrior, right? He had the, he had the stats. He had the stats. He sounded like somebody I would talk to. He was he was tall. I was about to say he was six five because that's yes. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. He was a warrior. He had the stature of just a just a soldier, right? And he was an archer, right? He had he had a powerful tool in archery. Like he knew how to whoosh, like whip that thing back and like hit his target every single time, right? So Arjuna, like he, but he was starting to forget who he was right? He was a warrior. He is a warrior, right? Um, so we go on and say, once, uh, once we know who we are, undefeatable and beyond our petty reoccurring storyline, we can act on the field of life with freedom, clarity, and powder, power. Let me, let me say that one more time. Once we know who we are, undefeatable and beyond our petty reoccurring storyline we can act on the field of life with freedom clarity and power whatever we do then is truly an expression of yoga so another part of yoga living a yogic lifestyle is living authentically in your truth right really understanding and knowing who you are freedom clarity and power when you can walk and talk with freedom and power that then you've mastered understanding who you are at your core right so what the dark night of the soul does is it's it's a death of the soul it's like a rebirth 
right? It's coming back into you and saying, well, not coming back into you, but it's it's a space where you start dropping the narratives of who you believed you were and start walking in the authority of who you are, right? With that power, with that freedom and with that clarity. Um, so when we talk about um, remembering who you are, right? The knowledge of who we are is not something to be learned, but remembered, right? And when I read that, I went back to the episode, if you remember, or if you're new here, back in October, and I'm starting to kind of wrap my mind around um, this coming October, right? October, I celebrate on the podcast, um, uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month and Miscarriage and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month, right? And if you remember, we had Savannah on and she kept saying it felt like her body was was wanting her to remember something. This is exactly what that is, right? When she kept saying that, I wasn't 100% sure if I knew what she was meaning, but then something clicked after that episode and me and her talked a little deeper but this is what that is, right? You're, you're like you're remembering who you are. So the dark night of the soul is shattering this outside narrative that we've created and is having us come back home to ourselves, who we were de- de- divinely created to be. I'm so tongue-tied. I'm always tongue-tied. Um, like the person walking, waking from a dream who automatically remembers who he is, right? Krishna refers to this teaching as uh, disturbed memory. From disturbed memory comes loss of discernment, and from loss of discernment, a person comes lost. So think about people who are just lost, right? And this is why I'm always saying, and I'm going to keep saying it, there's when we're born there's things that we're gifted there's also ungodly things that we're gifted right those traumas is it your true self or is it your trauma self right trauma has a way of making you not remember anything right it has a way of stealing power from you stealing that trust of discernment right? Still, stealing wisdom. Yet when you get on the other side of healing that, it gives you wisdom, right? So that's a tricky place. You have to also pray and ask for it. Um, he then comes to talk about, um, let's see, it started like now it's just kind of going through like miniature definitions of what um, each of these are, right? So we'll just go ahead and jump in. Um, yeah. So we'll start with remembering who you are, right? So on page 221, the simple act of watching the mind dispassionately has brought it to a place of calm. As I breathe in the stillness of the night, I was swept away by an overwhelming awareness of my own presence, my aliveness. I get that 100% because there's, there's been times where I felt like I was just existing, right? Think about that. Have you ever had times in life where you feel like you're literally just existing, right? 
And somewhere you are starting to like awaken to that and awaken to, okay, well, what can I do to shift this? What can I do that feels authentic to me that makes me feel more alive, right? He then goes on to say, it sometimes said that the mind is like a pond. For most of us, that pond is dark and impenetrable. It's muddy bottom stirred continually by our agitated and restless thoughts. In our hectic, results-driven daily life, we don't allow the waters of this pond to steal. We don't let them reveal their transparent depths. Since the field of perception is mostly clouded and disturbed, all that is visible to us is the movement on its surface. The continual play of form in the world, we can call this surface perception, right? So surface perception is all those day-to-day things, all of those things where it's like we have to constantly be doing, 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 right? What is external? Then it goes on to say there's another kind of perception, which is deep perception, which is when we allow the lake of the mind to still, we can see right through the crystal water to its magnificent hidden depths. Depths. In a state of alert awareness, when the restless, overbearing mind is still, everything seems magnified in clarity and intensity. So when we are able to become still, we allow what is in front of us to not just be it, right? We're able to look deeper. As I've been here, right, the more that I've allowed myself to stay in my routine of um, building my own meditation practice, right? I start realizing that with the view that I have of like looking over um, where I am right now in Cambodia, like I'm starting to see like further out, right? So now it's not just the houses and, and the river that I see, there's more, right? And I feel like every time I'm like, wow, they're like, there's so much more. Like now I'm seeing clarity on of the top of buildings like further out right like and I can almost tell you what color they are I'm seeing like images of of trees like further out like I could just see things a lot further out right I've also allowed my perception to be more than what is in front of me right I've allowed myself stillness to get curious. I love that word curiosity. I love the practice of curiosity, right? When we allow ourselves to become curious, what do we get from that? Um, Cause even like the author continues to just talk about how he became aware of one familiar light shining brighter than the rest in a certain space that he was, right? And described it as the light of consciousness that illuminates all things, right? So when you are able to remember who you are, you're able to engage in this constant light of consciousness and clarity of perception. It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? Like perception is powerful. Um, on page 223, when, we, when lost in our story, our life is marked by constant struggle and striving. We become creatures of anxiety. We measure our own worth by the fickle judgment of others or by how much we own or what we can do. We lose the courage to be true to who we are because like Arjana, we have forgotten who we are. 
As a result, we experience an emptiness inside that we cannot seem to fill. We're always dissatisfied despite having so much. Sometimes it takes darkness to appreciate the light. I thought, and I continued work, I continued towards the temple on the hill. The stars shine brightly 24 hours a day. They never cease shining. But it's only in the obscurity of the night that we can see their brilliance and beauty. So sometimes you need the dark to be able to see the light that is within you, right? To see the light that is, that is for you. We speak about illuminating the darkness, but sometimes it's the darkness that allows us to appreciate the light. It's so true. The obscurity in a dark night experience when what is fleeting has been broken apart can give us a glimpse at the self-illuminous soul, right? So remembering who we are, um, going to page 225. Just as a warrior needs to feel at ease on her chariot, so a yoga practitioner needs to be able to rest and feel at home in their body. We reside in this body for the time being and can give ourselves permission to feel comfortable in it. If we don't accept our body and mind, we struggle to find the tranquility we need to practice yoga, right? So there's another story I wanted to share within um, remembering who you are, right? And it was talking about like vanity, right? Now, I bring this up because the story was really powerful. Like when I was reading, I was like, ah, it's a birdcage. So this, this lady walks into a vintage shop or she sees this, she's walking past this vintage shop um, and the story is on page 227. And she sees this beautiful beautiful like just just radiating gorgeous vintage um bird cage in the window from the window she goes in and she's raving and ramping about how beautiful this bird cage is and she wants to take it like she bought it she paid she paid a pretty penny for it she bought it she took it home and she just couldn't help but stop staring at it like she wanted to like she cleaned the outside of it. She just was like calling all her friends about like, you know, how beautiful it was. Right. And like they describe, it says it had 24 rib like pillars. The entire cage had been delicately carved from a single block of jade. If you know about jade, it is not cheap. There were perches of ivy and the cage floor was sparkled like a mirror reflecting an intricate pattern designed on the on the cage's domed turquoise ceiling. Like this thing was prestige, right? So now she's like, oh, I just have to invite all my friends over to see how beautiful this cage is. Oh, it's got jade, it's got ivy, it's got all these beautiful things and trinkets and it's just gorgeous darling it's gorgeous darling so she invites all her friends over to look at how beautiful this cage is one of her friends brings over their little girl she spent so much time polishing this thing and and like just making it shine on the outside and all of that she invites her friends over to look at it and they're ooing and they're eyeing and then they walk away they go do whatever friends do when they are getting together the little girl starts crying come to find out there was a bird in the cage the whole entire time 
the little girl found the bird dead in the cage. Moral of the story, she spent so much time in awe and taking care of what the outside of this cage looked like that she paid no intent, no attention to the bird that was on the inside and didn't feed it, didn't take care of it, didn't nourish it or anything. She took care of the cage that it was living in, but didn't take care of the cage. So when I read that, I was like, that's powerful because now y'all know I have a little shopping addiction, so I'm not here to judge nobody at all, right? I also know how to take care of my inner self, right? Like the outside of me is not any less important or any more important than my inner works, right? Because eventually what happens is whatever I decide to put on, I'm going to radiate from the inside out, right? You're never fully dressed without a smile, literally, right? So as much time as we take with the vanity of taking care of our outer selves, right? How are we nourishing our soul so that we can live in our authentic self, live from the truth of our soul, live from the truth of our divinity, right? Um, on page 230, the author writes, all the vanities of life can't satisfy the soul. As a result, we feel a great lack that can be difficult to identify. We don't know the cause, but the feeling is nonetheless strong. It never goes away. We long to feel the emptiness in our heart. That feeling of emptiness is the hunger of the soul. The purpose of yoga is to nourish the soul and set it free so that it can express its own true nature. Mm. Nourish the soul so that it can set us free. On page 234 and 235, our habit of looking outside of ourselves for happiness can even enter our yoga practice. Mm -hmm. I see that on the mat a lot. Like as a teacher, I see when we're in our asana practice, which is a portion of yoga, and I'm going to do a completely different episode on the difference between yoga and yoga asana, because asana is a part of yoga, right? Yoga is a lifestyle. Um, but as a teacher, like, I can't, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times, like, I'm watching students look at other students, right? When the goal is to focus on your mat, your journey, and tap inwards to you, it has become an outward thing for some people, right? Um, I've shared the story where somebody asked me about sending them like yoga asanas for like stronger abs. And I was like, I'm not it. That's not me. That's not my realm. Sorry. Keep it moving, right? Knowing her intention was well, right? Because um, she's a dear friend, but I'm just like, girl, you know me better than that. Like, don't you ever. But yeah, like there's a lot of students that I've had the pleasure of teaching who can't keep their eyes on their own mat, right? They're so worried and concerned about what their body looks like in these postures and what somebody else's body looks like in these postures when we don't know what that other person's body has been through. Like I have, especially when I'm a teacher where 
I'm going to give you, this is what we're, I'm guiding you through. Please do what feels right in your body, right? I'm holding space for you. I'm here to hold the space for you to do what you need to. And a slow flow class that I used to teach at the studio that I was at in Jersey, um, always full. Well, full to what I, I know to be full. And I always had, like, it was always the same people that came, which I loved, right? Because then it allowed me to play around a little bit more um, because I was starting to learn their practice. There was always this one lady, super adorable, super, like, she was an older woman, but she was so petite, adorable, so sweet. She would pop her little 50-something-year-old self in headstands and all kinds of stuff. And I'm just like, if that's what she needs for her practice today, right? And other, like, some people would sit and watch. And it's just like, well, no, you don't sit and watch. You do what you feel is authentic to your practice, right? She, but learning her story, she's been through a lot with her body and dealing with cancer and all these different things. So it's almost like, I'm honored to see that she's, you know, willing, like wanting to come to my class and still guide herself through her own practice. Right. So it, it, it really, it really matters, right. How you take care of your inner self, right. Because then it allows you less distraction in this external world. Right. Um, we are on a yoga journey, but it isn't a voyage to a distant location. The self is not something far away we need to travel to, nor something we need to become. We're the self already. Our journey is therefore really a journey of knowledge, a journey of remembering. The Kina Upashan um, refers to awakened knowledge. Now, I'm just going to pause real quick. Upanishad, there's yoga is a part of that circle of the Upanishads, right? Um, I'm going to dig into that. This is turning into like a yoga podcast, which is fine. Um, but I'm going to dig into that in another episode because like there is a true difference, right? And I would like, I am in a space where I would like to respect the difference and get people to understand um, that yoga is part of a bigger picture. It's not what we do on our mat, right? It's, it's a way of life. It's, it's, it's a way of healing the body, mind, and soul to come back to ourselves. Um, but as it says, it's awakened knowledge. Yoga helps us out of a forgetfulness of who we truly are. Um, so Krishna goes on to explain that a person who truly knows the sacred self finds uh, complete fulfillment and contentment in themselves. A yogi or yogini, yogi is male, yogini is female, can directly experience this happiness through their daily practice of yoga. In other words, they don't need to look outside themselves for fulfillment. Happiness is our natural state when illusion is removed or stripped away. Therefore, the way to happiness is not to try to create it, but to see something that obstructs, but to seek everything that obstructs it. Right. Um, so now we're going to move into number two, which is understanding the terrain. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this because this can be its own separate 
podcast episode, um, to be honest. But it taps into the gunas, right? When we talk about terrain, it's understanding your your like the the soil, right? The soil of your mind, the soil of how you um how you show up, right? Um, so on page 238, Krishna is now talking to Arjuna, and this is also very heavy in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, they talk about the three types of terrain, which are the gunas, right? Sattva, Raja, and Tamas. Think of sattva as the hilltop of life. They offer us clear, undisturbed, panoramic view. When the mind is influenced by sattva, a person feels satisfied at heart. She's no longer troubled by a million longings. Sattva manifests as mindfulness, tranquility, and wisdom. The Sanskrit word sattva means beingness, right? So just our, our being and refers to a deep awareness of what is. But it's difficult to remain on the mountaintop. We are forced back down to the more troublesome slope of striving and attachment and into the murky valleys of lethargy and forgetfulness. So now we move into Raja, right? Raja is a vantage point of life that fills a person with a million desires, leading them to be anxious, ceaselessness, um, ceaselessly striving, excuse me, and forever dissatisfied. So remember I said earlier, there's always that one person that's just never satisfied, right? They're always striving, but never satisfied. This person is influenced, um, the person that is influenced by Raja is always trying to reshape the world. The Raja's terrain involves a difficult climb up a steep slope with all the exertion, longing, triumph, and frustration of such a pursuit. Then you have Thomas, which is the dark valley of life. It's treacherous, disorienting, um, and haunted forces of bewilderment. When a person is lost in Thomas, which is darkness, which means darkness, uh, Thomas is Sanskrit for darkness, we fall into uh, constant lamenting, remorseness, self-pity, resentment, frustration, anger, hatred, and all of those lower level um, forms of negativity or lower forms of negativity. This is the terrain we're likely to find ourselves in during the dark night of the soul. It can manifest as a strong desire to give up on life. Travelers can find themselves stuck in Tamas for an excruciating long time. They drift into an existential, existential sleep, even while appearing awake. They forget why they're on the road or even that there is a journey at all, right? So as I said, I'm not going to sit here long because we could be here forever. It's like to understand the gunas, it's, um, it's, it's a lot, right? It, it goes deep into like how you begin something, right? So understanding where you are in like starting something, right? I would even say like your intention. Cause I always say, if your only intention is to make money, it might not work. It will work right? It might be a quick scheme, seduce and scheme, right? Or if you are thinking longevity, if you are thinking long-term, right? You want to actually build something that's meaningful, then you're starting with a different mindset, right? It even talks about how you show up in conversation, 
um, how you finish something, all of that referred to the gunas. Um, so I'm going to read, like, there's this little insert that I think is perfect, and then I'm going to move on. Um, on page 239 at the bottom, when Krishna is summarizing the three, these three qualities by what they, by what's produced in our heart, wisdom arises from sattva, greed arises from raja, and neglects, uh, negligence and bewilderment arise from Thomas, as well as folly, period. Take that and run with it, right? If you want to learn more on the gunas, you can. Um, if you are reading The Dark Night of the Soul with us while we're doing this, like, it is very laid out i think the the author did a very good job like laying out what especially in like our regular day-to-day -day life of how uh the gunas show up so on page 253 he talks about um a conversation that he had on like an interview um to really understand how does one transcend from the gunas right from the attachment of these three terrains and it's balance right he says um at the bottom of 253 uh the traveler wants to offer the moonstones to krishna the beautiful lord of his heart these gemstones are taken away by Raja Thomas, and, but are returned by Sattva. I think they represent our body, mind, and words. When we truly offer these with love, we transcend the three gunas. And someone who has transcended the gunas, what are they like? Such a person that has transcended the gunas is happy, is equal in happiness and distress fortune and misfortune they are self-contained they don't derive their identity from the world so remain unmoved whether praised or blamed honored or condemned they don't distinguish between friends and enemy but see all beings equal on the level of the soul they understand that everything in this world is simply the play of the three gunas which i think is very powerful right we don't allow ourselves to stay in one space or another but we understand that there's duality right where there's light there's dark right it doesn't stay sunshiny all day right eventually it has to get dark there's yin there's yang it's balance it's all balance right so when we can understand balance understand duality and i think even in learning how to um balance duality and holding multiple perspectives at once right um because you can agree to disagree and still not become angry still not become enraged you, you can say you know what i do understand your point of view i still stand firm in where i stand the yin and the yang right there's light and dark to everything there's good and bad to everything right i'm actually like trying to understand this good and bad thing um because what may be bad to me might be good to somebody else so really like trying to understand that but from my perspective my perception that thing is bad 
but that doesn't give me grounds to condemn anybody else, right? It doesn't give me space to judge. It doesn't it doesn't give me the right to tell them that it's bad. I can just say, you know what, that's not in alignment with who I am and what I want for myself. Period. Right. Um, and then the last part um is moving into distinguish between the divine and the ungodly, right? So at the bottom of page 257, um, the author is telling this story about this guest house for people that are dying. And uh, this one person that worked there for 44 years has seen over 12,000 pe- 12, people die. And the consistent um thing that people say at the end of their life is i wish i had the courage to do the things that i wanted to do right um they have a lot of regrettable decisions that they have made during that were driven by those lower qualities of life right Th- those lower qualities are what they consider like the ungodly cons- um portions right that are within us right because divinity isn't all dark divinity isn't all isn't bad divinity isn't low right it's whatever continues to keep us elevated um so he says that the wealth of the ungodly is these lower qualities right krishna lists six qualities that injure us hypocrisy vanity egoism uh anger, harshness, and absence of wisdom. The last of these, which is absence of wisdom, is the gold in which every ungodly jewel is set. Remember in the beginning, right? Discernment. Wisdom and discernment are not going to be far from each other, yet discernment is given to everybody. Wisdom is when we have to tap into it. Wisdom is listening to it, right? Ungodly qualities are so familiar and near to us that we usually fail to see them in ourselves. Uh, Going to page 258 at the bottom, um, the person that has been working at this uh, place where people come to die, right? And this is in a foreign land somewhere in 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 the Middle East. It says, people carry so much baggage throughout their lives, unnecessarily only wanting to drop it at the very end of their journey. The heavy baggage we carry is the wealth of the ungodly. In other words, let that shit go, right? I had to learn that. I'm in a space now where I had to learn, listen, a lot of things went wrong, but I don't have to carry it anymore, right? That doesn't mean that I have to allow these people back into my life, but I don't have to like ignore them. I don't have to be nasty. I don't have to keep holding on to these things because it's only going to hurt me. It's not hurting anybody else, right? Um, The heavy baggage we carry is the wealth of the ungodly. It's everything that has sprung from our own hypocrisy, vanity, egoism, anger, harshness, and absence of wisdom. Moving to page 259. We're truly rich and fortunate when we possess a large treasury of the heart, not a large treasury of the ego. The wealth of the gods and goddesses is a precious cash, uh, cachet, 
cachet of unearthly qualities, fearlessness, purity of heart, uh, discipline, nonviolence, truthfulness, avoiding anger, non-attachment, tranquility, compassionate, uh, kindness, humility, vitality, patience, and much more, right? It makes me think about the yamas and niyamas. I'm going to teach y'all so much about some of this yogic lifestyle stuff. Like, it's like, especially like that non-attachment, right? That That's important. We have to learn to let go because that very thing you're holding on to could be the very thing that once you let it go, it like opens up a world of things for you right um they he then goes on to recommend that cultivating sukla i believe this person's name is recommends that cultivating helpful habits to house helpful values right and this he says happens over time with practice it's like building a muscle you have to keep at it every day so you want to be a giver start giving more right but find it in balance right? You want to start taking care of yourself? Start taking yourself out on dates, right? Start spending time with yourself. Stop being afraid to spend time with yourself. You want to start traveling? Start somewhere close, right? Start by yourself, right? Stop waiting on everybody else to do it. The fear, the, the fearlessness, right? Until we consistently work towards being giving, truthful, or kind every single time we're challenged, we can't expect to have attained that jewel-like quality, right? Gratitude. Every single day, start with gratitude, right? I journal consistently. And thank you to Keys, um, who was on episode earlier in this season, where she said that every morning to nourish her soul, she does a mental dump. I journal every day up to that point, right? But there wasn't something that like something that was different. So now every morning I'm intentionally journal dumping, right? Even if there was a dream I had, whatever my thoughts were that morning on my way to like preparing myself to come and do my meditation and my asana practice and you know just kind of like get into my zone for the day get into my balance for the day right what does that look like it's routine discipline right culturing these helpful qualities amassing this type of capital the wealth of the gods is a form of yoga right even when we don't feel like doing it we still do it because it doesn't just benefit us, it benefits a greater good, right? The dark night of the soul is a perfect time to develop kindness and compassion both towards oneself and towards others despite the pain. It's hard, right? It's definitely hard, but we can't allow that darkness to shun us out and to make us not so good people, right? Um. So this part on page 263 was interesting. He says, if you're troubled, so there's a question being posed, right? What should we do if someone does something that really bothers us? Because this is an everyday question. If you're troubled by someone, it's a blessing. It means Krishna, which is God, wants to teach you a special lesson. When we point a finger at someone, we should look at our own hand. Our index finger is pointing at that person, but notice three or 
three of our other fingers are pointing back at us. So if you're disturbed by the quality of others, look deeply at your own heart. Is this quality of you? Is it in you? Why are you so disturbed by it? We tend to project un unacknowledged aspects of ourselves onto others when we're triggered and find ourselves criticizing others. It often reveals parts of ourselves we disown or reject. Mm. That mirror image, right? I was writing something today on this, like that mirror image of people shows up in us. Um, when we judge or criticize someone, we build a bridge from their heart to our heart and all the faults of that person, real or imagined, cross over that bridge, taking root into our own heart. So we should try to see the good qualities of others. I imagine creating a bridge that allows only the divine qualities to enter into my heart, right? Um, and then the very last thing that I'm going to read is on page 272. Um, well, yeah, I think I'll just like skip over the yoga part because I want to save that for a se separate episode. But it talks about how our asana practice, um, those poses that we go into are poses that are postures that open up consciousness, right? So it allows you to understand what terrain you're on. It allows you to come back into your body and remember who you are. And it allows you to investigate and have conversation with your body about what like where you're where you are are you on your higher potential self or at your lower potential self right how are you talking to yourself in these poses in these postures because that might show up off the mat right um so yeah i really enjoy this book a lot i really enjoy that book a lot a lot a lot a lot um so yes that is yeah allowing those false perceptions to disintegrate right and easier said than done because we're human and we've all lived a life where we were told this is how something is supposed to be this is how we're supposed to live yet it takes repetition it takes curiosity it takes will and want to shift right because when you start shifting your mind you start shifting your world when you start shifting um how you talk you start shifting your world when you start shifting how you respond to things you start shifting your world you can see things differently so yeah i hope this was uh i hope it blessed y'all as i always say i don't know why i was about to say something different so yeah until next time talk to you then